Happy Monday, and welcome to Not Boring Founders. My name's Packy McCormick, and I'm your host. And on the podcast, what I'm trying to do, it's a really casual conversation with founders that Not Boring Capital has invested in and who have gotten to know through that process. And these are people that I think are building the future and want to get a glimpse kind of real time into what they're building. So today we have a fun one. Reggie Perlera, the CEO of Seasons, is building the future of retail. Now, Reggie's been building a company that was designed to make men look and feel good through COVID, a period where people weren't going out and people weren't renting clothes and people were probably wearing sweatpants most of the time. Somehow he persisted. The company's growth has been phenomenal. And I've just been so impressed with what Reggie and the team at Seasons have built. So without further ado, Reggie Perlera, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're building? Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Reggie. I was previously a product designer over at Nike, StockX prior to that, and then way, way, way back at Square. Today, I spend the probably 110% of my time trying to build this new kind of access-oriented rent-to-own platform for men's fashion called Seasons. So you've had you know, a pretty gold-plated resume, gold-plated career. What made you decide to jump in and do your own thing? Yeah, so... I recently talked about this question. I think it's come full circle, just having thought about it a little bit more and been doing this for a couple of years now. But as recently as, as 2019, when I was at Nike, a big part of my job was doing user research, user interviews, trying to get a sense of, of who our community was, who was using the app, why they were so frustrated, not getting any, any, any sneakers during passes or drops. And that took me to, you know, all these different boroughs across New York City. I'd go out of my way to have coffee with people, give out gift cards. I'd be giving out like $7,500 gift cards to Nike just for the sake of them having a conversation with me, you know. And through that process, I started to realize just how much people were actually spending on not just sneakers, but just apparel, um, accessories, jewelry, all these different things. And that led me down this kind of route of what that behavior looked like, right? And a lot of, of what we were seeing at that time was secondhand becoming a, a larger and larger emphasis. You know, people were already kind of thinking about how to create space, how to, how to make an extra dollar. And they would do that by buying, wearing it, listing it on places like Grail, Depop, even the real real sometimes making money and then just, you know, going through that full cycle again. And so what I realized was a lot of this, you know, could be shortened and compressed into, something like what is now seasons and that was through access right giving people this kind of option to to skip that whole process which is, is a very tedious process having to buy something list it haggle negotiate back and forth in dms and things like that and so yeah i had enough faith in this kind of idea men were kind of already doing this to some extent i think it just kind of needed to be communicated in packages and, and branded in a way that was a little bit more uh, straightforward and and yeah and, and and something that made sense so i quit my job that summer in June, literally within weeks, I was just kind of like, yeah, I have to go do this and was was very lucky to have, have met a great group of people who participated in our first round and, and had enough faith in me to, to kind of go and do this. So that's how, that's how, <laughs> those are the kind of the earliest days. So what was kind of the original idea for Seasons and what parts have stayed the same and what parts have changed? Yeah, the earliest, I think, version of Seasons was essentially just having studied what platforms had already existed around that time. So Rent the Runway had already been a thing. They had actually just recently launched their unlimited subscription plan around that time. 
And so, you know, I had, I had friends who use the service, who loved it, who wouldn't stop talking about it. And that kind of word of mouth just was, was really interesting to me. But I thought that, you know, the same thing could be offered to, you know, a, a different demo, one that I had gotten very familiar with and, and become very involved with and kind of repackage it to something a little bit more curated and thoughtful just around the brands. And so that was in the form of kind of this like, you know, flat monthly subscription fee. And in exchange, we'd send you a fixed number of items and uh, you got to choose and you'd have something to wear, something new to wear every week or every month. That was basically like the original uh, package. That was the original. A lot has happened since then. I mean, that was July of 2019. We scrambled, put together a beta, launched an iOS app, bought clothes at retail, launched like a really, like I'll call it an alpha version, whatever, whatever that means, November of 2019. And so a lot has changed since specifically us having gone through a global pandemic, supply chain crises, a, a kind of a new consumer. There's a lot of things that happened along the way. Also as recently as, as seeing you know, a company we really admired and, and looked towards for inspiration, Rent the Runway, go through an IPO, you know, as recently as this past month. And so all right. Actually, we, before yeah, stop me before we even get to the second part of my yeah, question, and I yeah. I'm a terrible podcast host because I ask questions that are multi part and too long. But you said I float, two... man. I go all over the place. <laughs> yeah. So just yeah, guide me. There we go. No, no. This is this is on me. But you said two things that are super interesting in there. One is a global pandemic. One is the rent the runway IPO. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the rent the runway IPO. What have you seen there? What are your thoughts on rent the runway? And like, what did seeing them go public? How did that change the way that you think about seasons? Yeah. I mean, taking a step back, looking at how long they've been around for roughly around 12 years or so, there was a, there was a steel curtain behind the company. You know, there was, there was, it was hard to get any kind of visibility in what was going well, what wasn't. And uh, just some of the thinking that went into even their most recent model shift in, in 2020, when, when COVID kind of disrupted a lot of the the work-life balance that their members had. And so really what it showed us was that a lot of the decisions that we were prepared to make and did recently make were completely justified and, and thought out because the model, I think, is inherently flawed. I think that they have a, a subscription, an unlimited subscription that was too good to be true. Ultimately, they were giving out $2 for every uh, dollar that they were getting. And the, they try to make this work as well as they could. And in order to do that, I think they compromised a lot of the inventory. I think that they started producing and, and, and sourcing brands that people weren't really excited about. I think their, their customers also getting older and older as, as much as they don't want to acknowledge it or realize it. You know, they like to talk about department store brands and, and, and department stores have 50 plus year old customer base. Like they're not that far from that either. And so... I think that, you know, they really tried to make this work as long as they could and, and they didn't have the opportunity to, to kind of adjust and, 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 yeah, change the model a little bit before uh, getting into this IPO. It taught us a lot just about our unit economics, our plan going forward, our, our strategy around, you know, new categories, new verticals, including women's wear. We think there's a ton of opportunity there. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pause there. Amazing. So they obviously had to make some changes going through. What changed? What was your COVID experience like? I remember the first time we talked. This is one of the things that I was yeah. most impressed by. But like, what was your COVID experience like? What? How did that change the company? How did you get through it in the first place? Yeah, I think. I mean, I can remember the exact day, March 14th. We were at the office, and you know, New York City was literally in the process of evacuating. Like, I think I don't know about you, but like, I remember friends leaving in 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 herds to the airport, and and you know, packing a suitcase as quickly as they could. 
that month, funny enough, was like one of our best months. Like February of 2020 was one of our best months. We were like, all right, this is this is it. I think we've like really kind of figured this out here. And then that following month, we just like everything shut down. And we had to just stay patient, patient and, and have enough faith to where like, you know, we weren't relevant at that point. You know, people didn't need us and that was okay. And I think that having come to terms with that also was was comforted by the fact that we had just closed a round. You know, that, that prior month, we had just uh, closed a seed round with some amazing investors, including, including Kindred and, uh, and, and a few other kind of just people who were doubling down on us. And we were, I think, in probably the best possible situation we could be going into that because it gave us a lot of time to invest in where we wanted the business to be whenever we were coming out of this. No one knew how long... Of a, of a process this was going to be. I mean, we didn't even know, we didn't have a, a vaccine timeline in March of 2020. And so we were just operating under the, under the assumption that, you know, do, do we want this to exist post pandemic? And if the answer is yes, why? And kind of the things that we expected to see were, were it was like way, way, way out to the future, but like, how are people going to dress? How are people going to go out after this? Like, being pent up, you know, or, or bottled up in a house or in an apartment for so long, I mean, can do so many things. And we took that time to invest into our tech ops. We built our own inventory management system from scratch in-house, a reverse logistics platform that is as good as getting orders back in as it is getting orders out. The other thing is we built an entire, you know, consumer facing customer management system. We get a, a, a true sense of like who our audience is, who our customer is, um, what they're wearing, what they're looking at, things like that. So without that, I don't think we'd even be here because I, I think you have to you have to build that and think about that if you're trying to scale something like this. Who is your customer? So you mentioned Rent the Runway's customer is aging. Nobody who's listening right now can see it, but you are wearing a shirt that <laughs> I am way too old and <laughs> to pull off that has mushrooms, peace signs. It's a dope shirt that I'm jealous yeah. that I can't pull off. So who's it's the customer? Shirt. It's a what? It's an, over, it's an over shirt. Oh, even cooler. Yeah, yeah, I don't even own an over shirt. <laughs> oh, no, good. So who is, yeah, who's the customer? And then you obviously you've been very opinionated about kind of the items that you're, that you're uh, giving customers. Yeah. Walk me through that whole, that whole thinking and process. Yeah. I think, I think one demo that has specifically stood out, I would say the Henry's, the high earning, not rich yet audience, which is a lot of people who you know, fortunately, were not too impacted by COVID. I mean, they, they had job security. They were, you know, still shopping online. They were still spending. But coming out of this, you know, I think we're trying to figure out, all right, maybe I'm tired of wearing sweats. What what What's out there? What do I look towards? And I think that today to be any kind of e-commerce platform, you have to have some kind of opinion and some kind of curation behind it. And so I think what we've done really well is we've kind of presented that in a way. That's really friendly. I think the, mo the majority of people who come to seasons end up discovering a brand for the first time. This brand in particular, Story MFG, relatively new. I mean, when someone kind of comes across it for the, for the first time and they see a $500, $600 average price point, probably not the first thing they're going to go towards. And so to be able to try it on 30 days, also what you pay to rent it, have that applied as a discount if you did choose to buy it. It's, yeah, it's, it starts to make a lot of sense. And so I think our customers is definitely someone, you know, 24 to 31, someone who's kind of coming into that age where, you know, they're trying to figure this out. And 
that's not necessarily easy to do, especially uh, within this, the, this, this demo and this audience. And I think we've done that really well. Yeah. How does your sourcing work? Like who's the one with the taste? Do you have a team on it? Like how, how does so that funny. whole process work? Yeah. So he's actually sitting right over here. His name is Jesse. So we were lucky enough to meet him. Uh, hi, Jesse. Meet him a couple of years back. And, you know, he had this amazing background having worked with this boutique here in New York called Opening Ceremony. And just having been through that for a very long time, trying to figure out this balance of, you know, curation, but still having those products that I think are for a particular customer and can can sell and, and also cater to rental. That was the other thing. It was, it was a pretty significant challenge. But Having you know him involved, especially with our merchandising team, uh, going into markets to try to convince brands to buy into this concept of like, hey, let us buy your products at wholesale and rent them out for a fraction of what they would cost retail. That was a process in itself. That's another thing of what, that, that we actually did throughout 2020, which was when no one was buying, we were going to those brands and saying like, look, actually, now that your store is closed, now that that department store is, or is no longer carrying the brand, give us a shot. And I think that actually worked out to our advantage. But yeah, it was it was a lot of relationships, a lot of studying to to see what brands were kind of being talked about and, and finding themselves kind of in these really cool areas of the internet and us, you know, going out to them and building relationships. It's not easy, but like easy to look back and say like, yes, like this was obviously the time to double down. Obviously, you know, it gave us a better position, all all of that. Were there times during COVID where you just thought it wasn't going to work or we'd never get out of it? Or like, what was, what was kind of the hardest part? Absolutely, man. I think there were some dark, (laughs) there were some dark times for a lot of people during COVID, just anyone being in e-commerce and in fashion, like. Even a, a good example is this brand called Entire World, right? And uh, they were at, you know, they, they were featured in a ton of uh, press articles in, I want to say spring of 2020 as like the go-to sweat, like the, the the loungiest brand that you could, and the coolest loungy brand you could find. And they were riding high and they were probably running out of, you know, inventory just because sales were spiking. And now they're gone. Literally with it, a couple of weeks ago, like they shut down, they closed their doors. It is truly a roller coaster, but yeah, there were some dark days. I think that we were really trying to figure out how long it would be before we could, you know, go out and have this conversation and be like, hey, you know, we're out of it. We're we're starting to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. This is why we exist. And yeah, I think that we just had that, that patience. Me in particular, I'm not that great when it comes to patience. And so I think that having had that that kind of, you know, the, the team around me, the, the investors that we had around me, the support network that we had, yeah, it was it was a lot of that. So now coming out of COVID, like NYC is back, renters are back, like things are back. Yeah. What's the product that you're offering right now? Yeah. So I was at, I mean, I was at a party the other day and it was just like, it was surreal because there's so many people and, and, Everyone, you know, there's 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 procedures in place, you know, there's people checking vaccine passports at the door, all this stuff. And it just kind of feels it feels like where we wanted to be when we had launched. And now having gone through that, that really difficult period just makes it all that much more worth it and special. And so really where we landed on over the last few months and, and having come out of the spring realizing that, you know, this wasn't going to always just or it wasn't always going to be just about rental. We repositioned ourselves to kind of have a conversation around what ownership means, really addressing kind of the ethical implications of buy now, pay later, which is a whole nother subject we can get into. But what we are is a rent to own platform for fashion. And what that means is at its core, you know, you reserve these items for a fraction of what you would pay it. You wear it, 
as you normally would in any setting, you keep it for as long as you want. And every month that you have it, that rental fee goes towards purchasing that item. So if you do end up falling in love with something, you have the option to buy it. And you have, uh, you know, this, all this kind of no commitment, uh, no risk mentality going into it, which is, I think at its core, you know, a big emphasis for us. And it, it's been a theme having, you know, kind of thought about this transition. And so, yeah, that's, 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 that's where we are today. And I don't know how much you can share, but the growth has been phenomenal. Like the thesis of this will be back when, when we come back is there. What are the growth numbers that you can share? And like, just how has that felt almost? Yeah. I mean, the second, first of all, we, we hardly did any marketing. We've, we've hardly ever done any kind of marketing um, for obvious reasons through COVID. I mean, it wasn't a good time to be spending uh, dollars, but about, you know, 75% or more of the members that we've signed up over the last 12 months have come from organic channels. And I mean that being from word of mouth, uh, the SEO that comes from just, you know, people being excited, also referrals. I mean, we've, we've built out a, a great referral engine, but, you know, it's, it's doubled our, our order volume. You know, it's, it's made it so that people are reserving more items on average every month. It's, it's making it so that people place multiple orders throughout the month. And ultimately, yeah, we've, we've grown in triple digits, you know, over the last uh, 12 months. And I think that that's been really exciting compared to, I mean, think about where we were 12 months from now, November of 2020, still no kind of vaccine timeline. I think it's all relative. And I think this, this last year has been very abstracted. It feels like forever ago, but it honestly yeah, it wasn't that long. And having been able to make kind of just the progress and, and uh, position ourselves for this, this moment, I think, yeah, has been uh, a lot of the reason why we've seen the growth that we've had. And it's incredibly exciting. It, keeps, it makes us want to keep going. So now that you survived, we can think about thriving. What does the next like five years, 10 years, like what is the huge vision that you have for this? Because that was another thing that attracted me to the company that yeah. you have this amazing product and offering now, you made it through COVID. And I think it was John Exley who got me like the most <laughs> excited, one of, you know, one of, one of the season's investors. He's, he's good like, at that. He's, I mean, he's the most exciting dude in the world, but he, yeah. uh, you know, he, he was just like, dude, this just changes retail. This changes everything. Like, so what does that vision look like? Yeah, I think, to talk about that, you have to talk about just kind of what we've seen between e-commerce and retail. You know, 2020 was this kind of spike where we just saw everyone talked about just like when e-commerce was going to catch up with retail for a long time. It didn't feel the same. There was it didn't have that that kind of effect of like you walking into a store, trying something on, walking out with it, that immediate gratification. And what we saw over the last 12 months is like actually people really enjoy it. And also the people who were on the fence about it kind of had to, they had to make that switch. And so when we think about that, we think about what this platform can do as a vehicle to kind of ride off of that momentum and say, you know, what is, what are the, some of the worst parts about e-commerce and shopping online? Returns, having something not fit, you not actually, you know, wearing, you not being able to wear something and having to deal with trying to get your money back and all these things. Uh, kind of just the buyer's remorse that comes with a lot of it. I don't know how many things you've bought over the last 12 months, but there's probably things that I should not have bought. And uh, creating this kind of circular loop of, of you know, access and giving people a way to experience things online as easily as they can, you know, in person and for as long as they want. I think that that's what seasons can do in the long But yeah, I mean, beyond fashion, I think this 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 branches out to a handful of different verticals that I'm really excited about just because we've built that infrastructure, right? And I think that the model in itself, now that we're able to kind of price things individually, this is a whole another thing that we haven't talked about, but like 
we rebuilt our entire billing system in about 30 days, which is wild internally because prior to that, everything had kind of an average price point of like $35. Wasn't going to work out long-term. We knew that we we're trying to figure out, you know, the ways around it. We just basically said like, look, you know, for us to even think about expanding into different product categories, we have to have that kind of flexibility. And so today, you know, we're, we're looking at a lot of different things, but it's also uh, drastically improved, you know, activity around accessories, people reserving things that aren't just, you know, apparel, but us being able to price, you know, jewelry, bags, hats, things at that kind of price that I think get people really excited. Yeah. I think there's a ton of opportunity in this space. I guess walk me through them, like beginning of a transaction to the end of a transaction, kind of what the tech stack looks like and how you think about where to pull something off the shelf. And in this case, or in your, you know, reverse logistics or any of that, like where to build yourself. Yeah. So I'll give you, I'll give you the kind of the place where we started. We were trying to make this work off of a pipe dream using Airtable. Like it was literally us trying to use it things that existed already without having to rebuild anything. And I think we did a really good job of that. At a certain point, we realized that like, it was gonna be impossible to scale the amount of inventory management that we needed, the, the you know, customer management, and all of these interesting problems that come with this type of service. But you know, when, when we were able to get to that point where we were processing everything internally, you know, there's a ton of value you unlock from that, including things like depreciation, utilization, kind of pricing strategies, how to discount something, when to market available for sale. And so now what we're really looking at is, you know, working with that kind of data that we've collected up until now to inform how we basically sell something as efficiently as possible. And that's what's really interesting about all this. If if we can make this work for, you know, clothing, there's a ton of opportunity for us to do that with things like consumer electronics, other things like even, yeah, I'll get into those details later. But the idea here is that we have this, this kind of capability to take a product, onboard it onto our platform, capture all the metadata associated with it, list it, give it a unique, and then give someone the opportunity to, to take it home and pay it off over time and then make, have that decision as to whether or not they want to keep it or send it back, right? And I think that we've gotten really uh, good about processing those returns, restocking them, keeping track of the net value, post-return, all of these little details that go into what a rent-to-own you know, business would entail. And so, yeah, I think there's a ton of innovation that, that is, is happening. And specifically, I mean, this space hasn't been touched for a really long time. <laughs> That's the other thing. Is there a point at which, because I, I think hopefully what I want people to get out of these is when you're thinking about, you know, kind of the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial story kind of midstream, like you can, mm. again, look back on everything and it all looks kind of like preordained and preplanned. Oh. <laughs> but like, was there a point at which you went from like, hey, we're a men's clothing company to like, holy shit, we built a lot of technology that would enable us to do the same model for everything. Like, was there a strategic mm. discussion internally or did you wake up one day and you're like, you could do this with consumer electronics, you could do this with X, Y, and Z? Yeah. I think that a lot of it just is is the process of iterating and not being afraid to ask questions, poke around, and, and breaking things. Right. Ultimately, if if you if you break something, you become really good at figuring out how to put it back together. And so, you know, what we did was break the way that we, you know, rented apparel at the very beginning, and that inspired a lot of questions as to you know how we could do it better in the future. And then 
that led us to, oh, if this works for this, you know, there's actually a lot of opportunity for us to do this for this other category as well, because they all kind of share the same properties. But yeah, I think uh, organically, if you ask enough questions and uh, you take things apart, you know, long enough to, to kind of figure out patterns. Yeah, uh, there's, there's, there's something there. The signs are always there. Will there be a time then that now that you've built all this tech, like you're licensing or selling the tech to third parties? Or do you think about the business as kind of seasons and then seasons tech as something that is separate? You know, it's, I love that question because we've we've met so many people along the way that have told us how frustrating and incredibly old their inventory management systems are. And so I think, yeah, I, that would be something that's really exciting for us. I you know, we've, we've discussed it recently, but I think there's absolutely an opportunity to explore, you know, white labeling uh, individual properties of our software. I also think that, you know, this is something that could be really useful, especially to someone who is dealing with that kind of, I think returns are something that is, are, are just so, so low key when it comes to the inefficiencies with, with e-commerce. Like if you, if you start to really boil down the opportunity cost for off or offloading your returns to a third party, which most, most brands and more, most sites do, you have no visibility into why people are returning your stuff, where that, you know, what, that feedback and, and ultimately it's lost merchandise value. Yeah. So I think even pieces like that have a ton of value and yeah, we, we, we've discussed it with a few uh, potential partners and yeah, I think that that would make a ton of sense. Shout out to, there's a company actually in the UK called Her, H-U-R-R which is another, it's a, it's another rental platform. And I think they've been really successful at what they've done, but they, this is a perfect example. They've white labeled their kind of internal software to Selfridges, one of the largest department stores in the UK to operate their own rental experience. And I think that, you know, kind of comparing that to what's possible here in the U S yeah, I think, I think department stores probably need this and uh, could benefit a lot from it over the next 12, 20. There's a few different pieces that I've heard in your different answers that might answer the question of, you know, let's say you're successful enough to be around and lucky enough to be around for the next 12 years, like Rent the Runway has. How do you stay current? Like how does seasons in 12 years not have that issue where you try to keep up with customers who get to my age and then like start wearing white t-shirts and that's it. And like, do you need to stay cool? Does it become more tech? How do you think about all of that? Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I, I think, that where they started in 2009 is completely different from where we are starting or where we started even in 2019. For us, we have to do this in less than half the time as to what they took to kind of get to that, that, to that point. And I think that's going to help define kind of how we keep track of our customers. I think we have to get very good at understanding, you know, behavior across, you know, what people are looking at, browsing, buying, and then ultimately adapt, right? I think that's kind of the big themes here is that if you don't adapt, if you don't keep that kind of pulse, especially when it comes to fashion, e-commerce and consumer goods, like you start to lose touch with your customer. And I think that that's one of the biggest takeaways for me over the last five, 10 years, having been at Nike, having been at StockX. And I think, you know, we do that through community. I think community building is, is going to be that much more important over the next few years. I think we do that through data. I think creating a, a personalized experience for everyone that kind of, I don't know how, but I, I'm very fascinated by this idea of recreating that kind of TJ Maxx experience <laughs> in person, having something to discover every time you go into that store and just kind of wandering around and, and being surprised by something. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's, there's something there and I think you do that to person. 
I mean, that makes that makes a ton of sense because I think like the the challenge that I was just thinking of is like, you know, let's say in in ten years everybody who's cool enough to wear what what you guys offer now, like, yeah. If you just listen to the data and listen to your community, they're gonna be like, you know what? I'd love a nice blue sweater and a nice <laughs> pair of like comfortable khakis. And like, yeah. how do you hide that away in the back room so they can get what they want, but still have yeah. the brand represent something that's a lot cooler and yeah. fresher? And yeah. I'm a I'm a big fan of this kind of conversation that's going on in in different parts of Twitter and and online. I don't know if like subreddit communities, but basically what yeah what what browsing looks like and and what searching looks like across e-commerce as so much stuff starts to get uploaded and and there's I mean the Amazon problem right there's so much product to to sort through and, and browse through like what does that become I think it becomes uh, discovery and you know curation I love what Spotify has done with Discover Weekly. I think presenting someone with a digestible amount of information and, you know, things in, you know, on a, on a consistent basis every week, like that just feels really special and magical and easy. And it, it helps you not worry about just how overwhelming the catalog is. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's going to be part of the. And so another part of the community thing, got to do it. We got to talk about there's a potential yeah. Dow angle. Like you have a community yeah. here people can tell you directly with even upside, like, you know, what kind of, what kind of fits they're interested in wearing and like all of that. Is there a DAO in the season's future? How do you think through that piece of community? It's such an interesting question because this is something that's been on our minds for the past several months, obviously with just kind of how much excitement there is around crypto and DAOs and NFTs and all that stuff. You know, people ask us naturally, just, you know, it, what does that look like for our seasons and, and for the company? And I think that, Part of our success even to date has been just being focused on things that are going to improve kind of the baseline customer experience and not getting too distracted by that. I'm, I'm very much you know, OCD when it comes to ideas. I love chasing new things, but I think that's kind of the balance. For us, I think we've dis we discuss a lot of projects and a lot of ideas internally before you know making that decision as to whether or not we're going to go pursue it or, or build something. And so... As to how it pertains to a DAO, you know, this was one of the most talked about things. We we um, even have a Discord where you know we've created channels to show and preview what it is that's coming out. You know, six eight months from now, you know, there's people that that use the service and and have kind of the inside look as to you know how we're buying, what what partnerships we're working on, those kinds of things. But it's I think a perfectly natural extension to think that someone who's a member would want to participate in the very least as to like nominating a new brand we go by from next season. Fashion is very interesting because there's two, two opportunities throughout the year to go by for the, the future. And I think involving people in that process is something that most people have never seen. And that's something that's really special about that. But also there's just a ton of opportunity in working with existing DAOs and existing communities that I think we've explored and, and we've realized because... You know, it's 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 hard to maintain. Actually, someone someone gave me shout out to Catherine. I'm just going to give her you know give her the credit. She's she was at one of our investors from Notation came in to speak with us and just kind of brainstorm around this idea. And one of the most difficult things I think that people are going to start to realize, you can't easily create a DAO within a company that's already structured to provide a service and make that work flawlessly and seamlessly. It, but it's, I think the opportunity is starting that company or that service as a DAO from the beginning. And, you know, at the time when we're, you know, where we were, I think that that wasn't really the, the first thought. But, you know, I think there's a ton of synergy as to the benefits that a DAO can provide. 
And I think there's a ton of really interesting partners that we could work with to, to kind of carry those, those ideas over with. And I think that's what we're going to explore. I love it. It's a practical approach to the, to the problem when it feels like every company that I talk to is like, yeah, we do this web two thing, but we're also like definitely going to do NFTs. It's like, <laughs> this is a very, yeah. a very thoughtful approach to the. Oh my God. It's uh, I mean, it's something that I think for a long time kept me up as to like, you know, how also, I mean, in regards to NFTs, I think this was another thing that we explored and we were just saying like, you know, this is very much an opportunity for the future. We have the brand relationships. I think we can have those conversations, but creating that buy-in, you know, having the IP rights, negotiating the, uh, the rev share splits, all that stuff that takes time. And obviously at this size, like, yeah, time is a luxury. So it's, you got to choose your battles, I guess. And, and for us, yeah, that's kind of how we're thinking about it. So I'm trying to, and I don't have one yet, but kind of narrow in on a closing question for this. And one of them is like, this is a simple, straightforward one, but for any kind of founder out there listening, like what's one generalizable lesson that you think that you've learned building seasons to date that they can mm. take and apply to their business? There's so many drafted tweets. I think that I, <laughs> I feel like could answer some of this. The most helpful one to me has probably been being comfortable, not knowing exactly whether or not something is going to work out or, and just having the patience iterate and think through things before making kind of rash decisions and jumping the gun. And so, I mean, even a couple examples for us would be, you know, the model from where we started the company to where we are today. I think that was an evolution of just conversations, you know, us thinking through it. There were a ton, actually uh, even diving a little bit deeper. I mean, we explored this really early on and, and we had feedback from third parties that were just kind of like, I don't know, we're not sure if we should, if you should do this right now, maybe just rethink the, the timing. And I think ultimately you just got to go with your gut and, and make some of the calls because as a, as a startup, you run out of time, you run out of resources. And if you don't try something and you end up regretting that afterwards, I think that's, that's the, that's the one thing that'll get you. And so, yeah, being patient and, and, and thoughtful enough to iterate on the original idea, because ultimately I, I don't, I don't think that's. I don't know. I'd be curious to see the stats on that. I'm, I'm curious what, what percentage of companies uh, that started off doing one thing ended up, you know, five, 10 years later, still doing that, that exact same thing. So seriously, ready. This has been so much fun. Where can people find you? Where can people find seasons? I have pretty good SEO with R-E-G-Y. My first thing, <laughs> not many of us out there. Shout out to all the Reggie's, but the seasons in particular, where seasons.com spelled the exact same way seasons.ny on Instagram. Reggie, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thanks, thanks for, for having, having me, me on the cap table and, and really excited to <laughs> be on this journey with you. Thank you, man. Likewise.